and welcome to episode 159 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Y'all, um, I'm missing out. I missed the hat memo. I missed like the floppy, curved brim looking, you know, distressed on the edges fashion memo. I'm here hatless. This is a visual, it's a visual medium here, this podcast, right? Shane, you live in a studio apartment. Can't you just like turn around and grab a hat? Uh, I live in a big boy house. <laughs> I, I, have a, a big I do boy have a race house. car bed, though. <laughs> you do have a race car bed. I do have a race car bed. It's over there. Also, that's the godfather, Dave Harbarger. Nobody missed out on the beard memo except for me. I feel like uh, I haven't seen you guys in so long because I missed one week, and now I have a giant beard, and last time I didn't. Is that true? You've been replaced by Gabe Spider Space Maxon. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. Spider Beard. And then Spider Space has been replaced by my giant beard. <laughs> C- current status. How did it get so fuzzy? Is that the longest it's ever been? Oh yeah, you didn't know Dave during his ZZ Top phase, Dan. Did you did, did you introduce the Godfather? I did. Did you? I thought you just kind of rolled in there. That no, that's why he rolled in because I introduced him. Feels uh, like he usually, he usually likes to break it. That's know? what he does. Yeah. I love how we can make episode 159 feel like episode one every every time every time like just awkward conversation did we have you done this before have we done this 159 times 158 times before it's wild with retakes welcome back dave thanks good to see you again shane excited to be here for this episode i'm amped on this week's show we are looking at our first batch of neon dynasty spoilers for modern and other formats we're gonna have a nice time chatting with friends Talking about new cards in our favorite game, Magic the Gathering, Deck Builder game. Deck Master yeah. game, excuse deck me. Master. Under the Deck Master umbrella. But first, we got some housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Josh T and Zach T. No relation. The T bros. <laughs> they're not they, related. Don't listen to Dave. Maybe they just like each other. I don't know. Yeah, they're buddies. They're friends now in the Dive Down Nation. Fellow citizens. Yeah, T Buds. Thank you. The T Birds. Let's call T Buds. They're not T Bros. Also, thanks to the newest review from From Autumn to Sal. I love this review. This was this was like postmodern literature. Yeah, it's five stars, but the title is not bad. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Which I'll take. Yeah, like if you if you can read this one on your Apple Podcast app, I, I suggest it. It's it's just it's just good writing. I like it quite a bit. So thank you from Autumn to Sal for that. A fellow Chicagoan, I wonder if we've ever crossed paths at one of the local game stores that I used to frequent. Once upon a time, and maybe we'll frequent again in the future. It says here in their review, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to cause any controversy with our new. Five, we appreciate the five star reviews. I will say that it says that they've been playing Magic since two thousand two, and that they took a twenty nine year break. So I think that from Autumn to Saul might be from the future, because that would mean that they picked Magic up again in twenty thirty one. Am I right? Check my math. <laughs> yes, yes, twenty thirty one. By my math, it's only twenty twenty two right now. Well, I like it. Star date. Yeah. 2031 must go back to the past <laughs> and warn the dive down about what's going to happen. Please tell us which cryptocurrencies to invest in. Yeah, right. Get into those Autumn to Sal coin. Captain's log. If you, the listener out there, would like to support our podcast, you can do so with a Patreon subscription. Find us over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Get into our Discord. Get some other swag. Patreon.com slash the dive down. The easiest way to support 
this particular podcast and certain other shows as well. Yeah. And another way you can help support us is use Mana Traders sign up code the dive down 2021. Excuse me. 2022 now. The dive down 2022. It's almost February, Shane. This is coming out in February. Oh my gosh. Well, it's like, you know, every time I write a check, I keep forgetting to put 22. You mean that once of two, every two years you write a check? Because that's the only time I ever write. I don't even know where co- a checkbook I take, is. I constantly write checks. I go to the grocery store. Yep. And I just pull out the checkbook. Are you my mother? I don't actually, I don't write checks. You write checks. Is your picture up at the, the, for trying to pass bad (laughs) checks? They're like, don't take checks from this guy. This guy, that's why I have an assortment of weird, like, masks with Groucho Mark glasses and stuff. I write checks, guys. You don't write checks? I have to re-up on checks. What? (laughs) At least once a year. What? What are you writing? My HOA is like the most common one they don't sometimes. direct they don't like do a direct withdrawal no pnc bank sucks well by PNC the way pnc bank, bank sponsor this podcast please get, at, get us. at us we'll take we'll take anyone's support i was gonna tell you my mom has not adopted uh not writing checks either she won't use a debit card she won't use anything no um she pays for things in one of two ways one is she'll write you a check which is very nice she has one lovely penmanship pen momship and then the other way that she does is she has a green sock that is full of money that occasionally <laughs> she'll pull out of her purse and pull like a like a roll of roll of bills out of and peel one off to pay for something Dave, if i didn't know your parents i would think that you're kidding but i believe you but like the only thing i ever use a roll of cash to pay for is gabagoo so is that what your mom is getting at restaurants ah I don't, I mean, I don't even know what Gabagoo is. I think it's mostly just like Longhorn Steakhouse. They like a Longhorn Steakhouse. Uh, it's going to the butcher shop and uh, that, you know, that kind of stuff. Green sock full of money. If you want to fill our green sock full of money, uh, Shane already talked about Mana Traders and Patreon, but there's another way that you could help us. And that is to go and check out our newest sponsor, Barrister and Man, Barrister and Man, purveyors of fine grooming products. Dave, have you shaved in like the last three weeks? Mm, I have not. And boy, oh boy, am I looking forward to using some of Barrister and Man stuff to touch this ragamuffin beard that I have going on up right now. But you do, you do have the beard oil. Yes. I've been using that. I've been using that like on the daily and i i've decided i really like it like i I was not a beard oil guy before but now now i like it i don't get to it during the weekend very often because generally i'm trying to just keep up with my kids and do home improvement projects another bonus for joining our patreon is you can see our home improvement my home improvement projects if you'd like to (laughs) in our off-topic channel i'd like to share that that info out with people um because i don't have anybody else to share it with but yeah, I love the beard oil during the week. I put it on every every day now. It makes my beard supple. You want to know something else? And I don't know what Will thinks about this, but I also put it in my eyebrows. I'm a person who has some eyebrows what? going on, and I have, I'm a man who's in my mid-40s, and so my eyebrows are getting unruly. I put a little beard oil in there, smooth them right out. Whoa. I don't do it in my eyebrows, Dave, but I do run it through my hair. Oh, I, wow. I put some drops in my hand, rub my hands together. Do it through the beard, and then whatever's left over, you know, because I keep my hair super short, I just run it through my hair, and I just smell, my whole head smells like lavender now. It's a lavender boy. I like it. That's great. That's me. Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N, the Dive Down 2022, 15% off your first order. Tell Will that we sent you. All right. With all that out of the way, we do have a breakdown. Yeah. About a format that we (laughs) have been flirting with this month, I would say. Well, we started talking about it because of this tournament. Why don't we finish talking about it because of this tournament? Never speak of it again. Shane, you are at the news (laughs) desk this week talking about the Mana Traders Pioneer 
Swiss that happened this weekend. I'm I'm gonna I'm all bookend the the month of Pioneer with the Mana Traders Pioneer event. Okay, okay. So Mana Traders puts on free tournaments every month, different formats. The, and the prize pool this surprised me because I haven't looked at the actual prize pool. It's fifteen grand a month of potential payouts. That's if you are a Mana Traders member, you get ten times the base payout multiplier. So if literally everyone, like, you know, I think it's like top 250 or something like that, gets some kind of payout, which is, it seems more than I imagined. Yeah, so you can get quite a bit of cash. Uh, You want to be a member if you're playing in these things. Again, if you want to be a Mana Traders member, sign up using code thedivedown2022. 15% 15% off your first two months helps support us. So the way this works is there is kind of an open period during the first, what, three weeks of the month and three and a half weeks or so. And you get to play at the minimum, is it 10 matches? You have to win seven of 10 and then you qualify for the Swiss. And if you play more matches, you basically have to win 70% of your matches, right? Well, it depends. So if you win 70% of your first 10 matches, you're in. If you don't, you have to win like uh, 65% of your first 20 matches. And then beyond that, it's 60% of anything that's, you know, within the top, your 30 matches or beyond. This is a pretty brilliant setup because one, it, it ensures that everyone wants to play a certain amount. So like you always have an opponent. And then like, if you do well early on, you can just sort of park. If you... Do, if you don't do so well and you're trying to qualify, you just play some more matches, give more people opportunity to have opponents. So you get opponents like all throughout the month and it's really fast and there's lots of people playing. And then if you do well enough, then you qualify and you get to play in the Swiss event on towards the end of the month. And the way that works is there were eight rounds of Swiss for all the players who qualified earlier in the month with that open play. And... Again, thanks to Bamzing and Fireshoes for sharing some of this data out, making it easy for us to understand what was going on. And we even had the entire meta broken down by Bamzing. And so these are all the people, again, who qualified. And so let's go through this. And there was a, I probably should have told this up. I guess I have Excel in front of me. So we had a total of 191 decks categorized in the, the qualified people. And... 33 of those, or 17%, were is it based Phoenix decks. So it's about 17%. Like I said, that reminds me of another time we were looking at is it Phoenix based decks, <laughs> perhaps three years ago. Are you talking about right? Yeah, modern about three years ago. Wow. Okay. There's more parallels to come. Uh, after that, we had uh, 9% each of four color ascendancy. And Boros Heroic base decks, so 17 copies each. 15 copies of red based burn decks. I don't know if that includes like the mid range burn. This was again broken down uh, by Bamzing, but I think Bamzing knows the difference between burn and mid range. So let's just say 8% burn. Uh, 7% Junt Food, 6% Naya Winota, 4% each of Demir Control, white based human decks, and Azorius-based spirits decks. And then we had uh, just under 4% of white-based angels decks, 3% of the Rakdos blood mid-range strategy. And then I kind of made an arbitrary arbitrary cutoff. Anything under 3%, I put in other. So we had 24.6% other. 
So any thoughts about kind of this immediate meta breakdown? It looks like a lot of other meta breakdowns I've looked at in the past where like we have a clear sort of front runner deck and then a lot of other selections that people were bringing to the table. I'm surprised that Lotus field combo made it into the other category, which means that Four Color Ascendancy and Winoda are basically the only combo-esque decks in, in among the top played decks. Um, considering that Lotus Field was a really popular choice in the previous weeks, something we had talked about with Dom on that episode, you think it might be a little bit more popular here, but maybe Ascendancy is just a better combo strategy, more resilient and, and yeah, more consistent. that's probably the case, right? I mean, but Stan... Uh, Boros Heroic is a combo of creature plus spells. Haven't you heard? It, I believe it's more of a synergy. No, I mean, it, what's more interesting, I think, is the next list, and that is our six wins or better decks, so six uh, and two or better. We had eight is it Phoenix, or 32% eight. of the six X or better. Eight is it Phoenix. <laughs> yes, eight is it Phoenix. 32% of the uh, 18 match points or better decks or is it Phoenix? Then we just have a bunch of twos and ones, like two each or 8% each of Naya Winota, Rakdos Blood, Demir Control, Rakdos Trespasser, which I don't really know what that is. I don't know the distinction between the Trespasser style and the Blood style. So if someone wants to look that up while I'm doing this, feel free. Then we have one each. My internet's not good enough to stream this and look things up, Shane. You know that. <laughs> and then we've got... um. Four-Color Ascendancy, Lotus Field, Mono Green Devotion, Selesnia Humans, Jun Food, Azorius Control, Boros Heroic, Orzov Vampires, and Azorius Spirits. So Phoenix, again, is the most represented, likely the most expected deck, and yet it still is overperforming here. Some things never change, even over three years into this podcast, although we are in a different format. So it looks to me like the Trespasser decks are maybe... Uh, are they a little bit bigger than the blood decks? I'm taking a look right now. Like the blood deck might be more aggro. Checking, checking, checking. I do just want to mention the fact that there's eight is a Phoenix decks in the six X or better bracket. That means one in three Phoenix players went, you know, six X or better. Pretty good. Unreal. Yeah, it's double double the percentage, basically, carrying a bunch of people right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the Trespasser decks looks a lot like the mid-range deck that Dom explained so eloquently to us a couple weeks ago. I don't really know if like the blood is sort of like a further iteration, maybe like you said, like slightly lighter and leans heavier into the blood-based strategies. That's my guess. Blood. Blood. But yeah, Phoenix, huh? Phoenix. There will be Phoenix. Phoenix is a good deck uh, and performed really well. And interestingly, for all of the Ascendancy, we only had one person kind of go six and two or better. I think it's just like we see so much stuff fall off, not even really fall off, just we see the natural sort of progression of these decks from the eight to the four per, four to eight percent end up in the four to eight percent and then we have a clear standout of is phoenix doubling its meta percentage yeah unbelievable ascendancy had lower heroic had only one deck in this 6x bracket burn looks like it didn't have any jun food only had one naya winota kind of went up a little bit but that's unbelievable phoenix yeah, Phoenix is, is I mean Phoenix is a really good deck. It's what's weird though is like Phoenix is the kind of deck that doesn't to me feel like it can always be hyper aggressive, right? And I feel like being hyper aggressive is is one way to get under some of these 
combo-based strategies or over-the-top type strategies like Jun Food, if you give it a lot of time to set up, or if you give Naya Winota a lot of time to develop a board and then start swinging, then you're in really bad shape. Humans can be disruptive if you don't start you know, picking, if you don't like, are you, if you're not able to, excuse me, counter their spells or clear their hand out with some interaction or control the board. And it's, is a Phoenix does, I think, pivot pretty nicely into a controlling strategy where it sort of becomes an inevitability style deck where I'm going to stop everything you're doing. I'm going to counter your important combo spells, maybe remove your important creatures, and then eventually be able to stick some phoenixes, stick a thing in the ice, and take over the end game. It's just such a it's such a different way of controlling the game that I don't think we see as much in modern because I think it's harder for you to to do that kind of strategy anymore. And I think that we see it less frequently, perhaps, than we do in modern. Or the ways that it's happening in modern is just so different than an is it Phoenix strategy any longer. Well, the threats are also better in modern. Where that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, exactly. Especially because now the threats are also interactive spells, and that becomes increasingly more common. Or, or in like the case of something like Ragavan or Dragon Race Channeler, these early threats just run away with the game. I think you're actually more incentivized to play a creature suite in modern than than other formats because the creatures are better. Weird. So let's get into that top eight, and in the finals we have Sneaky Masato. On Is It Phoenix, defeating Mogged on Mono Green Devotion in the finals. So, both of these players are incredible Magic Online grinders. If you look at their MTG Goldfish sort of tournament history, they both basically show up every week, multiple times a week, in multiple formats. Uh, Sneaky Misato looks like they play some standard, Pioneer, and Modern. Mogged plays literally every format from Pauper to Vintage. And so these are players who I imagine have played each other many times in the past, and they were able to uh, flex their muscles in the Pioneer event and clearly do really well. What's interesting is Mog's Mono Green Devotion deck. You notice that we haven't mentioned Mono Green Devotion on our episode with Dom a few weeks ago or with uh, in when we broke down the metagame. Yeah, old favorite deck, right? I mean, it was one of the, one of the original decks that got people interested in Pioneer. Yeah, and what's interesting about this build is that it's, pretty different, or not pretty different, but surprisingly different in the way that it used to be built. Even though it has a number of the same cards, it just has access to different cards and maybe a slightly different strategy than it did in the past. And so what's wild to me is that this deck does no longer run Nissa Who Shakes the World what? to make the to massive amounts of mana, and it does not run Karn the Great Creator to tutor up these tech pieces from the side. And so... It seems to sort of rely on a larger creature suite just because there's so many good value green creatures that take advantage of having lots of mana. It also is interestingly run running multiple main deck Miscutter Hydra, which is a kind of classic tech piece against blue counter strategies because it has it's uncounterable. It has pro blue and it has haste. So this tech I think is more about going big and fast and over the top. It has a single copy of Notably fair card from Throne of Eldraine, Great Henge. Mm-hmm. It really seems to rely heavily on the Vivian Arcbow Ranger Planeswalker 
to survive behind like maybe this wall of blockers and slowly tick up and then get a creature from the wishboard, like something like Decimator of the Provinces, the Terras, Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger. So like when you ultimate Vivian after a few turns, she can basically wishboard up a creature, unlike Karn wishing up a an artifact spell. So there's a lot of creatures that can sort of provide an overrun effect or you know pick off some some problematic permanents on the other side of the board. But uh, congratulations to Sneaky Misato on Is a Phoenix. Let's talk a minute about Sneaky Misato's list, just because people have been asking a uh, a bit about what type of Is it Phoenix did end up in the finals here. Does it have Treasure Cruise? Does it have Temporal Trespass? Guess what? Both of the decks, the Is It Phoenix decks that made the top eight here, have both Treasure Cruise and Temporal Trespass. They also have Galvanic Iteration, so they're playing that kind of, not combo-y version, but the version that has lots of different ways to leverage Delve spells into a game-breaking effect off of your thing in the ice. And so they're kind of splitting it down the middle. Two crews, two Temporal Trespass. The big thing that's always surprises me here that we haven't talked about a ton is that this deck just loves to play four pieces of the puzzle now. Remember that? <laughs> That card, notably all right card that has turned up in many different places over the last couple of years suddenly, and here it is in Pioneer again. But that's that's kind of the build that we're looking at here of Visit Phoenix right now. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Third and fourth place, we do have Allies Forever on four-color Jeskai Ascendancy featuring Gengotha, and that person lost to Mogged in the semis. And DM4X, I believe we've recently said those letters together about Pioneer. They were on Rakdos Blood featuring Luris, and they lost to Sneaky Masato. Our fifth through eighth place decks are Victor Roat on Lotus Field, Super Cowl 12653 on Naya Winoda, Rayest on Rakdos Blood featuring Luris, and Snus Numric on another copy of Is It Phoenix. Pretty diverse top eight, all told. Yeah, I mean, this just again shows to me that if you're coming to play a tournament or a pioneer in any way, shape, or form, be prepared for Is It Phoenix. Have a game plan against Is It Phoenix. Because it looks like there's still a pretty wide variety of decks that people are playing and bringing to tournaments like this. But of course, Phoenix is number one. And I'd also definitely want to have a plan against Ascendancy as well. And then besides that, if you're short up against random creature strategies, I think you're probably pretty good. But yeah, these the, these are clearly the two best decks taking up over a quarter of the tournament population. So how do you two feel about the Dalliance and Pioneer? Are you, um, Stan, at the end of our Pioneer episode a couple of weeks ago, you were kind of like, eh, you know, maybe I'll pop back in occasionally, but probably wait for Mana Traders. Shane, you've been playing a little bit more Pioneer. I know last week you talked a little bit about trying to, to well, do... Well, losing uh, badly. Yeah, Phoenix and Mono Red. What do, you, what do you think about after this diving in? Does this just top eight feel like the meta to you? Does it feel representative of what's going on? You know, I, I think that it's weird. It's it, this I when I played Is It Phoenix with and against, it felt like everything everything that people want Phoenix to be doing, it's doing. And and I don't know why people wouldn't pick up on the strategy more if they really did love Phoenix as much as they say they did. And maybe it's that they don't love Phoenix playing against these other silo decks that are in Pioneer, right? Where it's like, sure, I love doing the Phoenix thing, but what my opponents are doing is not exactly what I want to be lining up against, or it's not the kind of, not exactly the cards I want to be doing, or you don't have access to the same sideboard hate, like a Blood Moon or something like that. So I, I get it. I mean, I understand that it doesn't translate perfectly, but 
it's just like if if that's your style of gameplay, you have the best opportunity to win with it that you've had since Faithless Looting got banned. Yeah. And it's been going on for a while in Pioneer, honestly. I mean, if there's anything we've picked up on, Phoenix has been the best deck in Pioneer probably for months at this point in some ways. And it, and it just it pivots really nicely into a control strategy, like I was saying before. So like I think if if that's like your thing where it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna have my game plan game one and then game two I can change my strategy to try to stop what my opponent's doing and annoy them and then sort of just out-tempo them in the end and present some inevitability or present some really annoying phoenixes that eventually get back out of there. I think it's a, it's a fun way to play. But overall, on the meta, I think what I would do right now is I would personally be looking at like the Boros Heroic strategy because I like presenting questions more than I like countering stuff. Although I did like countering spells when I played with Phoenix. That was kind of fun. I mean, to like, you know, when my five color Niv opponent is casting Bring to Light and I'm, what's the, what's the one that's, that strips out the spell from their whole deck? That was a good one. Test of Talents. Yeah. Test of Talents was a blast. Test of Talenting. Yeah. yeah. They didn't like that. No, that card rolls. But overall, I mean, I think that it's, it's a fairly diverse field. There's a lot of creature based strategies doing things in different ways. We have, you know, some creature-based combo decks, and we have some board-based combo decks, and you know, it's it's a it's a perfectly fun format. But it's just, again, I think you have to want something different than modern. Like, I don't think if you like modern, there's a big reason to play Pioneer. But I think if you're frustrated with certain aspects of modern, then there's a lot of reasons to check out Pioneer. Yeah, it sounds like Pioneer is is kind of where you should go if you're frustrated with other formats. And I think there are reasons to be frustrated with modern and standard and alchemy. Whether or not that's true of us, I, I mean, like I'm I'm not frustrated with modern, but you know, I hear I hear the frustrations. So I, I think I think Don made a really good point. Dom made a really good point a couple weeks ago, which is just like this is gonna be a really good introductory format for a lot of people. Or in my what I'm trying to say is like it could also be a safety valve for people who just can't find a home elsewhere where it has both the best parts of a non-rotating format as well as an easier entry point just in general one little thing i wanted to note because you said people seem like they could be frustrated with certain formats most interesting thing i read about magic this weekend was uh, a tweet from Goatbots that mentioned that their trade volume is up on magic online like 3x what it was november uh, was it was in november in january now and they sort of were implying that they think that there's a lot of people trying out magic online right now don't know what formats they're playing for sure in that sense but maybe some of them are people who are leaving historic and arena alchemy uh to try out pioneer or maybe modern yeah or or just other like free play tournament practice experiences right yeah there was a recent episode of the mtg goldfish podcast where they basically made a stated their case for why commander players should give MTGO a shot in terms of just like the cost of entry for EDH on MTGO is dirt cheap. Yeah, it's crazy. It doesn't... Just because like so many of those commander cards are worth nothing and like you can play with reserveless cards because the reserveless doesn't exist online. And those cards aren't that expensive. Like dual lands are like six bucks a piece yeah. or something like that. Like it's it's cheap. Uh, so it's it's interesting. Don't don't sleep on Magic Online. We've told you a bunch of times uh, but I, it's it'll be interesting to see if the pendulum swings back that way. Anyway, a little bit of an aside at the end of this segment. But Shane, thank you for taking us through this tournament. We'll say bye to Pioneer for a little while, put it in the drawer, and uh, you know if there's uh, 
some reason you want us to take a peek back in at it, tweet at us. Let us know. After this, we're going to dive into spoilers for Kamigawa Neon Density. Stay with us. All right, everyone, we're back, and it's time for some Neon Dynasty spoilers. As you may recall from previous spoiler episodes. Is it really Neon Dynasty? I thought it was Neon Destiny. Oh, no, it's Dynasty. Oh, then my joke right before the breakdown was even even worse. I mean, my I appreciate it. the future it. illusion was even worse. Sorry, everybody. Neon Dynasty. Okay. Apology accepted. Listeners, loyal listeners, you may recall, whenever we do the first episode of a new spoiler season, we try to do a quick rundown of the mechanics so that they are fresh and top of mind as we go over some of the cards that incorporate these mechanics. My co-host did a very lovely job of writing down what these mechanics are. Some of them are familiar, such as this first one, Channel. <laughs> yeah, bring <laughs> it back, not, Channel. This is not familiar. What are you talking about? Well, Channel was used before, right? No. Yeah, and in the original Kamigawa set? Was it? Is this a, a... Oh, my gosh. Channel's a returning mechanic. What? It was is? in the Wheel of Time. Oh, my gosh. Guys, I'm so out of it this was, week. Was Channel's Channel terrible in it then? Because, like, I've never seen a Channel card in my life. And it Me seems either. like it would be a good effect. Saviors of Kamigawa. So, it was originally introduced in Saviors of Kamigawa. My my bad. I did totally did not realize that it was. It must have been terrible because Channel, in my opinion, this is a pretty powerful mechanic. And so I was surprised to see, uh, to even see it in some ways. Yeah. So tell us about it, Dave. So channel is a mechanic where you can pay an active activated ability on a card, discard it, and generate some kind of triggered effect. Right. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And so one example of of a card would just kind of say channel hyphen. Uh, here's the cost. Discard this card spell effects like that that's what it does it's basically a modal card right it's a card that uh has an ability a different ability tacked onto yep. it but mm-hmm. the spell side is uncounterable in this case because it's an activated ability and not really a spell being cast like an adventure or a split card or something like that that that's huge like that's right. just a huge thing and like it, this feels like a very contemporary card design so i can imagine why you would think that it's a newer mechanic and why i thought it was too is because it's, this is the kind of stuff that Magic has been doing a lot more the past few years because of the prevalence of best of one. So you want to give your cards extra mo- modes to have them be useful in more spots during a game. You prevent expensive spells from being useless for the whole game. You f- just feel like you have more options and hopefully creates better gameplay. I do think that this is one of those mechanics, though, kind of like Adventure, where it's if they don't balance the cards well, and they didn't particularly well, I think, with Adventures, it can become really clear. Like, the cards can be extremely good with, the, with this on it. And so it sounds like, to me, I would guess... After this, I'm going to have to go look at Saviors of Kamigawa and see what the channel cards from Saviors were like and see why they none of them see play ever. Because the channel cost is expensive. Yeah. yeah it's that if, if they undercost the channel cost, which I think on some of these, they're pretty aggressive channel costs. All of a sudden, you have really powerful cards that are just clearly very good. But we'll see. Yeah, channel seems ex- extreme. As, as, like you said, I think it's really about what they do with it. And I think it's it's foundationally very powerful. One, because it's not an actual spell. 
So that getting around counter spells is a big deal. And then if it's cost aggressively enough or the options are useful enough, then we'll have a card that if you've been paying attention to the spoilers, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. That is, is particularly interesting because of its type. Like it's uh, there's going to be channel cards with creatures and lands and other per- permanents. And so that gives you different options when you have the, the card pool, especially in modern. Yep. Should we talk about the next one? Yeah, Please. So this, this is, in fact, a new mechanic. Yeah, this is, in fact, not a new mechanic, I would say, for what it's worth. But why don't you read this one, Stan? <laughs> sure. This one's called Reconfigure. Yeah, these Reconfigure are cards are all artifact creatures. And what these creatures have is Reconfigure plus a mana cost. And when you pay the Reconfigure cost, when this creature is on the battlefield, it ostensibly equips the artifact to another creature on the board. So reconfigure is kind of like a version of equipment, except it's on creatures rather than just, you know, artifacts that do something else. And one of the coolest things about reconfigure creatures in this case is if they are equipped to something else and that something else dies, the reconfigure card actually reverts back to being a creature on the board again. You can also unequip reconfigure yes, creatures yes. and just make them standalone creatures by themselves, which is something that you can't do with an equipment unless you have another legal target. So it's a Transformers combiner where they can act as one big cool thing or small individual things at will. Yeah, these are just listeds, you guys. Yes, yeah, so a listed effect. These these are this is what you call listed effect. I mean that, not exactly it, the same thing. What but block is that from? Tempest. That's like that's one of the cooler. Like, was that the first "quote unquote" limited design block? Was that no? no that's uh, uh, Odyssey. No, I would say that it's uh, Mirage Visions Weatherlight was probably the first limited design, which is the block before Tempest. But um, yeah, I mean, it's an old design. So in in Tempest, they were creatures that turned into auras, basically. So they didn't have. So they were evoked yet. creatures. No, I mean they would come. You would play them they uh, had to serve they they were creatures and then they had an activated ability that was like pay a casting cost and tap it to turn it into an aura that goes on to another it, target it. that okay. you have and then when the thing dies i think that they they died too but you could unequip them by paying an, an activated ability so it would basically be like oh if you want to take this aura off and turn it back into a creature you can turn it something else the problem is that of course that was much more fragile than what goes on here with the, the cards that have reconfigure yeah so this, the equipping and unequipping thing and being a creature gives you some potentially interesting lines. I don't know how interesting they are for anything beyond limited, but like you could conceivably like attack with a creature with one of these equipped uh, reconfigured cards. And because equipment doesn't tap, you could then de- disconnect it and have it jump off or whatever, and then become like an untapped creature again. So there's some particular interesting options. I think that we do have a pretty powerful reconfigure card that I think I can see that use even happening in modern, for example. So mm-hmm. that's a great idea. I didn't realize. I remember that part about it that they they could stay back as a blocker, basically, if you use them to buff your creature and attack. I think it's a cool flavor for this kind of cyberpunky set for sure, where it's kind of like body mod sort of thing so it's pretty it's pretty interesting yeah you can get a little little cyber monkey cyber punky brewster was my favorite 80s sitcom i just want a cyber monkey brewster on my on my shoulder like the simian sling little reconfigure guy i wish the three of us could just get together and have a couple cyber brewsters just to chill on the porch oh man 
let's take five and get a cyber brew. Is that not what we're going to do when this, when this set comes out, when Neon Density comes out, are we not going to have some cyber brewsters sometimes play a little box sealed? Let's do that. We should figure out what the most cyberpunk beverages and zoom in Shane. So it's got to be one of those pipe works beers, right? I think it's blue milk from Star Wars that <laughs> Aunt, Aunt Beru brought in. Aunt, Ber- Aunt Beru. Was that her name? Yeah. All right. Next up, we have a returning mechanic in ninjutsu. Honestly, you might not have ever played with a ninjutsu because it's not particularly powerful. Uh, besides potentially Popper, where you see Ninja of the Deep Hour. But when Ninjutsu allows a ninja to kind of sneak onto the battlefield from your hand, tapped and attacking. So do you basically activate a Ninjutsu ability from a card in your hand? You, re- you reveal the card with Ninjutsu, pay the Ninjutsu cost, and then you select an unblocked attacking creature you control and return it to its owners. Uh, that would probably be you hand so basically a card might have like an injutsu cost that allows you to sort of sneak it into play uh in place of a different unblocked attacker so if your opponent is like yeah, i don't really want to block this one one then you get to maybe pay like an injutsu cost it's probably going to be less than the cost of the actual card they might have like an on hit type effect where it gets you to draw a card or something cool like that so yeah these haven't really seen a ton of play in modern but it's a cool effect yeah, would have to take a really powerful comes in play or on hit effects at a really cheap cost, and there are some cards like that. But probably, but we'll we'll have to see. This one may not be something that can make modern. I, I would think sagas are back again. There's a lot of sagas. I think there's some cool sagas. Yeah, the big thing about sagas in this set is that there a lot of them in the third chapter turn into creatures or turn into different types of permanent. I think that's a big deal. I mean, I think it's pretty big too. They're like double face card sagas and so i think there's some interesting stuff going on with those for sure all right this last mechanic it's called modified mechanic almost feels like a misnomer because it's it's like this condition and essentially what it means it's like party sort of yeah so basically modified is a condition that a creature has if it has an equipment attached to it or an aura attached to it or a modification attached to it so I think a really good way to describe it is with the example card of Aki Ember Keeper, which reads, whenever a non-token modified creature you control dies, create a spirit token, meaning whenever a non-token creature that has an equipment, aura, or modification attached to it dies, you create a token. So we'll see some of these, I think, in the set, whether or not they sniff modern play. Yeah, I mean, this is the type of thing, though, where, you know, what I think about is auras, boggles, that kind of stuff. Is it possible for, you know, is there something that's really powerful that makes it into a deck like that where you already have good synergy with with that? I mean, ha- you know, the outside chance of, like, hammer or something like that being being something that would do that. Yeah. I, I also just want to note enchantment creatures are back in general. Mm. So those typically only appear in sets that take place in Nykthos, but now they also take place on cards from Neon That's Destiny. interesting. Yeah, Neon Dynasty. Yes, but Dernstity. Counters being modified, too, is pretty interesting with something in Hardened Scales. Like, there might be some kind of payoff that's worth it for a Hardened Scales type of deck with, with this, too, to keep an eye on. All right, let's talk about cards. We did something, or we tried something a little different with this episode, where we broke it up into formats. So what we're going to try to do is talk about the cards that we like for Modern and then for some of the other formats that we occasionally discuss. And then we even have a section at the end of honorable mentions of cards that stood out to us 
but we're not exactly sure where they may go. Maybe they don't go anywhere. Maybe they just go in your trade binder to sell for bulk later on. But we like him. We want to talk about him if there's time. And we are going to start with modern cards. And probably the one that's been garnering the most attention is Boseju, who endures. Who endures? Boseju. Oh, Boseju. The legendary land that taps for green, but it also has channel one and a green. You discard Boseju, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land an opponent controls. That player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type, put on the battlefield, and shuffle. And this Boseju's channel ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Wild. Yeah, so this card seems really wild to me. The one thing I would point out really quick is I did just look at the Saviors of Kamigawa set list on Scryfall, and when I looked at cards that have channel on them, they're all creatures. They're all kind of expensive or very small effects. And so when you look at this card, what's really, really different about it is that it's got a pretty good effect, it's cheap, and it's on a land. Yeah. And and I'll even add, unlike some of those old channel cards, this very directly impacts the board. And a lot of those other channel cards are like, you gain some life, or a creature gains first strike, or pay six mana to give <laughs> minus three to creatures without flying or something. Yeah, like, one of them is is pay six or something to have someone discard four cards, which is like, okay, cool. Yeah, that that seems all right. Yeah, yeah everyone's holding a grip of cards when they're warm up to like seven mana. Yeah, there's there's so much here, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the big thing that people went wild about with this card first off is prime time... Amulet Titan is no longer afraid of Blood Moon, apparently. Is that right? Is that what we've all decided now? I mean, it's, it's interesting where it's like, yeah, Primetime can search it up, but you still have to be able to cast Primetime, but you can transmute into it with Teleria West. If you're running an Expedition map, which you, you might want to, or if you have Urza's Saga... And and Amulet has all those things right now. They yes. definitely run one map. They definitely run Saga. They definitely have Teleria West that they can try to use to to transmute stuff stuff up. So yeah, I can I can just see that line happening in all sorts of decks, like the Urza's Saga into Expedition map into Boseju, like just to get out of tight situations and for not uh, expensive mana. Like so, if you're under a Blood Moon, you're still probably okay. I mean, if you're under a Blood Moon, your Urza Saga is not going to do anything. But That's the thing. is you, you have to be thinking ahead for it, but it is a main deck out to Blood Moon that is tutorable in a deck that really relies on tutor-type effects to do good stuff, right? To do it, to do its stuff. So having this is... I don't know how many of these end up in a deck like that. I would assume it's one, probably, just as a piece of your kind of like good lands package. But the other thing that's incredible about this card is that while it's legendary... It doesn't come in tapped. So you can just play this as a green mana source that's just legendary. And the legendary issue is like not even a big deal with this because there's so many ways for you to use this for value with the channel effect. You know, if there's 
There's tons of artifacts, not as many enchantments, but there's enough of those. And non-basic lands out there just to get some kind of value out of it with this. Even if you're like let's if you're really tied up and you're like, well, I can take someone off a triome and get them well, I guess they could probably get a dollar triome, but you can take someone off of maybe some kind of value land and then maybe they don't have another land to use. What's interesting here is this does not have to fetch up a basic land. They have to get a basic land type. And in something like modern, you can get a shock land or anything that has uh, you know, mountain or island or something like that. So there's it's it's a little bit less brutal uh on the, the, the taxation part where it's like, sure, they, they might run out of basics. With this, it's a lot less likely, I think, that they run out of lands to get. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about what this can kill though. I mean, it kills Urza Saga, it kills Blood Moon, it kills amulet it kills like what else what other cards come to mind Dude, that- it kills chalice of the void mm-hmm. in a way that chalice cannot interact with yeah i mean chalice is just chalice's value has gone down more than even i think already has recently when like we used to see chalice a lot and now we see it less frequently but it's something that the uh cascade decks can figure out a way to get to uh and get out from the chalice issue it's just there's it's it's going to just basically end strategies like Belcher and Oops All Spells because it interacts both with Char Belcher and effectively just strip mines their DFC lands. So they they don't have any lands to get because they can't run real lands. And so they're just going to be under a major tax if anyone is playing this at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I, blowing up an early Valakit, I think, is also going to be really important against the uh, Titan decks or any Valakit deck for that matter. Every mode on this card is relevant, and I think a lot of green decks that can run it probably will have at least one, and maybe it's a sideboard card. Like, sideboard lands are also super viable and important, and like I can see this being just a modern staple for a long time. Yeah, but let's talk about the next synergy, because I think what you're, you all are talking about now is, okay, Amulet can use it as a way to get out of sticky situations, but a deck like that runs Renin 6 main might use uh, who knows a full grip of of these as some part of a proactive destruction um suite a la like you know a uh like a ponza kind of list might consider running yeah uh, a bunch of these with renin six as part of a mana denial slash main deck no downside way to destroy your it's not really mana denial sorry but we'll wait to just interact and kind of destroy important permanents for someone over and over again since it comes in untapped they don't go slower as a result of playing one the second one you'll probably be able to find a target for at an opportune time and then you can recur it with ren and six so there's been a lot of talk from people about about being excited about that possibility as well i'm terrified by that possibility stan what do you think about a card like this in your beloved ponza is that a thing is it an example of a place where it might go do you think that's not that interesting or I don't know if Ponza is where it's at right now in general and modern. I think the fact that it can solve Blood Moon problems for other decks is something that Ponza would need to resolve. You know what I mean? Like if you have your opponent under a Ponza and then they, you give them the ability to fetch up a basic land, that's that's not great. This just becomes a mountain also if you have your own Blood Moon down. So I wasn't necessarily thinking about this in Ponza. I think this gets better. First of all, I think this is card is just good enough even if you don't have run and six or other internal synergies. Like I just think it's in a green deck, even in something like Fafals, like 
you can just run one. And sometimes it'll be relevant, or other times it's going to replace a forest, and I think either situation is fine. But in other decks where you do have a run in six, or some other way to generate additional value off of it, like Expedition Map, maybe Tron, in Tron or something like that, Like I think this just gets exponentially better. So... Any deck that can can spare a basic forest, I think is probably going to want to have at least one of these moving forward. Yeah, this card's like such a weird give and take too, right? Where it's like, it's good against Tron, but like good in Tron. It's, it's good enough to provide some disruption to certain strategies that are also going to not like having a cast against them. Uh, I, I think that it, it's going to do more to the format than I think we're even talking about now. Like, I think there's a lot here. I think, I think Chalice of the Void becoming like even more, having more potential ways to get it off the board for very little cost is pretty scary. So glad I just bought a place out of Chalices. Like, I don't know, <laughs> two months yeah. ago. Perfect. Well done. Same, same. Yeah. I mean, the, you do ramp them. I mean, that's of course an issue. That's one of the things that people still like to overlook from time to time. Yeah, and I think that if you look at recent times, there's been a lot of debate on whether decks should be running Assassin's Trophy or Terminate, basically, you know, in Jundi-type lists, or if they should be running Assassin's Trophy at all in other places. And I do think it is a big deal to give somebody a land. So you can't think about, about doing this too often, you know, which makes me still... Which is part of what makes me feel like, in in my mind, that this is probably going to be a one of in some decks. I don't think there's going to be decks that really look to abuse just this card somehow, but don't underestimate how good ramping somebody is. Cause it, it's huge. It's also recurrable with life from the loam. Never forget. Yeah. And, and like the fact that it's good for dredge to just like take off opposing graph diggers cages or yeah. ley line of the voids, even a rest in peace. Like that's sweet. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, this is being on a land is just a game changer. Because there's more ways, or there's there's more, I think, efficient ways and ways that doesn't mess up the rest of your strategy to have a land tutor or run something as a land than than not. It's like you're not you're not main decking like a reclamation sage. You know, you're main decking just a forest with upside potentially. Not to get political, but this is a rare. If we were playing, if we were talking about Modern Horizons 2, I feel like this would be a mythic and it would cost $35. But because it's a rare that's going to have like two or three different printings, like I kind of, in the standard set, I, I kind of appreciate that cards this powerful and potentially ubiquitous or, you know, have like reasons to maybe end up being somewhat ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Like at least the acquisition won't be a huge hurdle. As long Hopefully. as there's enough pricey EDH cards at mythic, we're good. Yeah. This, this smells like one of those cards that could be a $25 rare, even. You know what I mean? Just because but, but of do those standard exist? sets. It, it happens in, if a set is underpowered for for standard, yeah. basically, or at least it used, used to happen. But we'll find out, right? I mean, I think we'll find out really fast. I do think that there's a lot of good cards in this set, I think, in some ways, but not all for for modern, but I think there's powerful cards for others, for standard and other interesting places. But I don't know if that's going to happen, but it could. Uh, and it looks like there's going to be a whole cycle of these. There's already a red one that's called Sokenzan Crucible of Defiance. I don't think this one is good enough for modern, but it is, you know, it's cool that they're going to have a whole cycle of these cards. Did we already see the white one at some point in time? Am I am I misremembering? I, I didn't so. see any of the spoiler list yet. Okay. Um, but Let's read this red one, too. I, I okay. think there's, it's interesting to, to discuss. 
Okay, so this one is red. It's a it's this channel, three generic red discard tokens in Crucible of Defiance. Create two colorless 1-1 one, one spirit creature tokens. They gain haste until end of turn. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Um, so this is a creature land idea of this cycle. To me, it feels kind of underpowered just because the impact of these two spirit creature tokens is pretty pretty low. You know, they're two one ones basically that don't don't do anything. They don't even fly. So I kind of feel like it's not really enough to get there, um, especially when you look at a card like Den of the Bugbear, which is really a heavy hitting land that has a similar activated ability. So yeah. the thing about this that I think is is worth noting is you can do it at instant speed to just create blockers, which is nice. And this is another land that creates disposable creatures for indomitable creativity. And I think as that card actually, the stock price for that card goes up, I think having having lands that you can play early as just an untapped mana source or have access to later as a way to combo off is pretty important too. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's it's going to be expensive. I mean, that's really for, expensive, yeah. For But, you know, it's another... Extra, having extra copies of Dwarven Mine or extra copies of Hard Evidence, I think, is a good idea, right? Like, that's that's the other card that they use a lot, right? Hard Evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Colony Garden. Yeah, Colony Garden. That's right, too. In the modern versions. Or in historic, maybe? I don't know. Not, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, on its face, I don't think this card's particularly powerful value-wise. But, I, yeah, it could be a player in things it's, that want just creativity narrow. yeah like Boseju is has, has a lot of applications i think this one is going to be a little bit more narrow but a potential role player in some sp- like very focused strategies yeah this one uh i'm excited to see the other three is what i'll say like what the the blue white and, and uh black ones look like because this is a really powerful design space for channel like we talked about and so i'd love to see another one of them in that series get broad playability but I'm also a little scared of it because they could be really good, but we'll see. Stan, you want to talk about the next card? I feel like this is maybe sure. your vibe. It might be. It, it was Aspiring Spikes. Spoiler. Friend of the show. Finally got one. Hopefully we're next on that line. Wizards. You're just saying it out loud now, huh? You're at, you're bringing, making your truth, ha- or making, uh, visualizing your joy. That's, that's right. I would love a spoiler for the dive down. This card is called Lion Sash. It's one in a white artifact, creature, equipment, cat. And it has the ability, pay a white, exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent card, put a 1-1 counter on Lion Sash. It also has reconfigure 2. And equipped creature gets plus 1, plus 1 for each 1-1 counter on Lion Sash. So it's kind of like a white scoos that does not gain you life, but you can attach it to other creatures to make them bigger. And then it leaves a body behind if it was reconfigured to something that gets removed. It's And it's a 1-1 when it enters the battlefield. Yeah. So, Stan, I feel like you could keep talking about this card if you'd like to. I mean, the obvious place that people are looking at a lot of these reconfigure cards, I think, but this one in particular is with Stoneforge Mystic. What do we think about that as you being the person who has definitely cast the most Stoneforge Mystics among the three of us? Well, I, I, I think Shane is starting to maybe approach me because he he's been fetching hammers with them i just fetch like swords and and cauldra completes i mean i i like it as a sideboard piece in stoneforge decks to just be some graveyard hate while also staying proactive in a way that's like kind of protected too so i think that's pretty cool it's cheap like at two mana this is 
the perfect mana cost for modern playability. I think it could also be a card for hammer decks because you can also get it. No, you can't get it with Urza Saga, so it's just Stoneforge Mystic. Mm-hmm. But if you play that other white grab an enchantment, grab an equipment card, it's Steel, Steel Shaper's gift. gift. Yeah. Yeah. So you can get this with Steel Shaper's gift. I just think it's good. Like, yeah, it's just good. How much can you really dissect? I mean, I think we can dissect a lot here. I mean, this is the dive down. We can talk for a long time about a card <laughs> or anything, really. I just think it's it's so weird that if this was considered something in white's color pie that we didn't have, like, the white scavenging ooze yet. And this is kind of like white scavenging ooze that can make other creatures better. Like, sure, it doesn't gain life, but, like, any permanent to grow bigger is more flexible than just having to eat a creature, right? And it lets you then kind of move those counters around to another creature, like one with evasion, one with lifelink, something you don't want to die because it's just off, it's just enough value on the board, something with trample, like whatever you need to get this on eventually is really valuable potentially. And then it's unlike another piece of equipment, like it doesn't need something else to exist. It can just come to the board, start eating stuff out of a graveyard and start growing really big. And so it offers that flexibility and it's tutorable, which unless you're running some kind of certain creature tutor, scavenging news is not right. And so there's a lot of interesting options that lets you attack a graveyard kind of take over board stalls. In a lot of ways, we see a lot of those in our lesser powered formats than modern. And so I think that this is, I think it's both not like some kind of, clear 10 out of 10, but it's like, it's just so good at doing a number of different things that I think it's going to make a lot of people happy. I I do think that it's actually better in a format like historic than potentially even modern, because I think it just does a lot for like white based decks or white based like artifact style decks, because it can really take over certain matchups and take over like the board stalls that you see in a lot of those formats. I think it's great. I'm kind of in the same camp that you were staying a little bit when you said, I think you, I kind of think this is going to be a sideboard card in decks that have stone forge or decks that kind of do the, the um, equip equipment thing, just because if you look at what makes it into the suite for value for, um, stone force mystic, you know, you have batter skull, but batter skull is great because it has lifelink and, and vigilance and it stabilizes the board. It's a threat. It's big. It stabilizes the board costs a lot. But you can cheat it into play, and so that's a that's a big play. Um, you know, the swords are have their time and place because the swords are incredibly powerful. When they go on something else, they provide a ton of value immediately. You know, even nettle cyst gets giant because it synergizes with other artifacts, and Maul of Skyclaves gets flying, so you get evasion out of things. But the thing to me with this card is that it doesn't have any secondary ability words. Like it just has the scoos effect and it gets bigger. And so having it not be, you know, not even have trample or, or something that gives it some kind of extra uh, mustard on that fastball is a little bit kind of disappointing, I think. And so I think it's really only going to be good in places where you need to get rid of cards out of your opponent's graveyard. I don't think people are going to play this often. It's just a um, buff for their cards personally. I almost feel like this has some potential to enable new strategies in in some formats. Like, you can grab this with a Karn. And we don't know of any white-based Karn decks right now, but being able to both grab this with a Karn and potentially 
put stuff from your graveyard back into the Karn Wishboard, I think also has some potential utility here and there. What? I don't think that's why you're playing it, but the fact that you can do that. What a move. That's interesting. Like, like you do that, you can do that with Relic now, but Relic is not a threat. Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't get bigger as you load up the wishboard again. You know what I always say? Relic is not a cat. Yeah. I've said that. We don't you've know all why. Heard me. Yeah, you've, you've all heard said, me say this. You've said it lots of times and we don't know why you've said it. You've kind of like walking down the street, card, guys. Surprise. Walking down the street in <laughs> Chicago being like, Relic is not a cat. Everyone saw that video, you know, during the early pandemic, you know, Relic is not a cat. Yeah. Counselor. I'm not. <laughs> All right. Is that enough on this card? I think Lion Sash is a good card, but um, I think it's like a utility piece. How about we look at another reconfigure card that I, I don't know where this goes, but I think it's interesting. Uh, the reality chip, legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish. <laughs> Say that again. This is the smallest type I've ever seen on a type line, I think. Like when can we, you look can at we this change card the name printed. of our podcast to the reality chip? Yeah. Love it. Next week. I got a lot one of week things. Only. Yeah. Got a lot of a lot of spicy takes I want to share with people on my reality chip podcast. Uh you may look at the top card of your library at any time. Oh, it costs a, a generic and a blue. I don't think I said that, so it's very cheap. Uh, as long as the reality chip is attached to a creature, you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library and it's equip reconfigure cost is too generic and a blue um it's an o4 creature as well so it's kind of a you know it's a crab crab size creature in o4 mm -hmm. i'm not sure where this goes but i think it's a cool card you know i don't i don't know if there's a, a spot where something like this happens this kind of being able to play lands and cast spells from the top of your library could be a cool thing and in, in a maybe a small creature deck that wants to be able to fuel i don't know I just think this is a cool card. I think it's got a hard place to find a home, though. I'm usually one that kind of like looking at these in green decks and like, you know, being like, oh man, maybe in historic or pioneer. And just like, I have always overrating these effects in green. Maybe it's, maybe it's better in blue. <laughs> I don't know. And a jellyfish. Well, this, unlike the green effects, which are usually just for creatures, like this is lands and spells. You're just casting everything or playing everything off the top of your off your deck which i think is significant does, does future site do that like the actual card future site i think so i think it's yeah. just a cheap kind of modal paid for future site yeah it's like future site with that called time ability right you know the fact that it's an o4 i think is actually significant because it takes some work for unholy heat to get it online it dodges bolt it dodges like fire ice or stomp you know, there's a lot of like deal two damage removal going around right now, and this sticks around. Vulnerable to artifact hate, of course, and Beseju, but just essentially they run out of Besejus. It just doesn't do anything like by itself. Like you know what I mean? Like it's 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 a yeah. it's a two mana O four that doesn't do anything. Like it, you can look at the top um, card. You can look at the top card of your library <laughs> at any time. <laughs> any time. Can I look at In my? Response? Can I look at my opponent's oh, my. morphs? That's what it does, Shane. <laughs> um, you see reality with it. Yes, thank you. And then, yeah, but you have to attach it to something for three. It just, and then it doesn't do anything to them. It's not like it's making them better. It's just like they're 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 wearing they're wearing some Google glasses and then yeah. seeing through. It doesn't time. even give them. I, it's one thing that I noticed about this too is like I wish it would just like buff the toughness of it or something mm -hmm. like give a creature that it's attached to plus o plus two or something you know like that would make it a little more palatable 
Well, what you're describing is the alchemy buff that's going to happen in, in two months. When they realize it doesn't, it's not getting any play. Yeah, that this doesn't even see play in standard. They're like, this card is legendary. It needs to be awesome. I agree with everything both of you have said, where it's like, this is cool. Like, being able to just play any card off the top of your library is cool. But, you know, if you're playing this on two, on what, a one drop or a zero mana spell, like a Memnite, like... It just it, it requires a lot of work for yeah. medium payoff. Left unchecked, it's a source of insane card advantage. But if you're curving out even into this, I think it's still kind of slow. So it, it, I think it's going to have to enable something significant. But when it does, it feels like it's going to be like an insanely powerful card that just maybe goes off entirely and, and supports even a combo of some kind. Yeah, tough. Because it's not just one spell per turn. No, you know, to note too, like you can play cards from the top, so you can play until you have to stop. So, I, I mean, it's not like Future Sight sees play in Modern though, but I, so we'll see. Right. Well, well, that's what a five mana enchantment. Like you're casting this on two, and it's probably going to survive um, unless they have a braid, and then maybe you just take it out post board, make yourself less vulnerable to artifact hate. This card's sweet, but I think it sucks now that we've talked about it. For yeah, I mean, this is just gonna, if if anyone was excited <laughs> about it, it's going to be like. The, it's going to be like In Search of Greatness, where it's just like, you know, it's not... Yeah, it's, remember that? Yeah. You know. Okay, In Search of Greatness is a Brawl All-Star. Sweet. Y'all, a y'all, Brawl Star. Y'all playing <laughs> Brawl? Hey, now, you're a Brawl Star. Let's talk about a potentially good card in The Wandering Emperor. Yes, I put this on the list. It is legal, and fu- Future Sight is legal in Modern, by the way. I just want to correct myself. It was in, it was in Modern, Modern Horizons, Horizons 1. Yeah. forgot. Okay, yeah. But this card, Stan, you put this next card on the I'm on the really list. excited about this card. The new, Explain the new read to it. me. You're, okay, I need, I need, you're going to, okay, in Modern. I can't, wait for, I can't wait for you to tell me why. All right, the Wandering Emperor, two white, white, legendary planeswalker, Flash. <laughs> and it also has a static ability that's only relevant when you play. As long as the Wandering Emperor entered the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could cast an instant. Plus one, put a 1-1 one, one counter on up to one target creature against first strike until end of turn. Minus one, create a 2-2 two, two white samurai creature token with vigilance. Okay. Minus two, exile target tapped creature you gain two life, and it starts with three loyalty. Flash on a planeswalker that both makes a body and protects itself. With a minus... But, but okay, you play this at the end of an opponent's turn, make a body with the minus. On your turn, you, you make it bigger, you turn into a 3-3 Vigilant Samurai. Uh-huh. Like, I just think this is the kind of thing that is a high-value play in a control shell when you aren't using your mana on counter magic. Like, this is a great Planeswalker to play in draw-go control. I, I was wondering if this where you're going with this, with this card, because also don't forget it's a removal spell. Too. And so it's if, removal spell. If you play yeah. it on their turn into an attacker, you can exile a target tapped creature. So it's interesting to think about it in a deck, like you said, draw go, where what you want to do is like, well, I might shark typhoon you and cycle that, or I might play the wandering emperor and drop a token, or I might counter your stuff. And the only mm-hmm. things that I'm really playing at sorcery speed is to fairy three you know, like, or something like that. So I, I didn't, you know, I thought maybe this could fit in there. I, I don't feel like it's a huge number. Like it's not going to be a play set in a deck like that. I don't think, but I don't know. Tell me, tell me more. You know what I think this replaces and I'm going to get hate mail is I think this just replaces memory deluge. Ooh, already. So even, you are, you are bonkers. 
you know, yes, Memory Deluge draws you cards, but this will produce a threat that you can also, like, you can pitch these to Solitudes, right? Like, just the fact that it's a instant speed Planeswalker that creates threats or is a removal spell, I, I, I just think is pretty huge. And the fact that the Samurai has Vigilance so it can, like, attack and block and protect her, just, I think this is fantastic. I, I will say, I, th- I think... You know, you you only have to pay the same amount of you have to pay the same amount of mana for this as you have to pay for a Shark Typhoon token on two, right? Isn't Shark Typhoon X one blue mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. cycle? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get to draw a card for that, but also this comes into play. You get a two two, and you get to you know potentially minus to it or plus it to make your thing bigger, and then you have a Planeswalker, which is a threat. So I'm kind of with you on this, feeling like it's got a chance just because just in that kind of play pattern. It's too expensive. Too expensive. It's not too expensive at flash speed. About? It's if, too expensive. Shark- is Teferi Hero of Dominaria too expensive? Is Jace the Mind Sculptor too expensive? This does not do what that those do at all. Like this does not. But this does you not- played those cards too. But the, you, like, but this costs four you, mana when you don't. You only have like a few cards that cost over like three because like then this this does not. This would be like a sideboard card at certain matchups because this doesn't do enough for the cost. Like even like if you hold this okay like even in the the example you're providing right which is like you I'm holding up counter magic and like you didn't do something or you didn't make me like spend some mana then I get to at the end of your turn flash this in make a two two go down to two loyalty then I get to I get to untap hopefully that you don't kill it and with like a instant removal like a removal spell or something like that or a direct damage spell and then i get to untap and make another 2-2 or at best i get to plus it up and get a 3-3 with vigilance that's like a t- potentially attacking into your board that doesn't feel like it's worth four mana to me in modern like, i just don't think it is like the other the other decks like teferi i mean the other cards like teferi 5 take over an endgame. They provide removal, they provide, you know, untapping mana to cast more spells, you get the double spell. It's just all sorts of options that you get. And with this, you don't get enough options to me. Like, X something a target tapped creature and gaining two life, sure, but then you end up with, like, a one loyalty planeswalker, hopefully you get to untap with it, maybe make another 2-2, and then it's dead. Or if you have a creature on board and in the draw go control deck, you won't have one. So you're plussing into nothing and you have like a two mana, two loyalty planeswalker that hopefully gets to do something. So it's just like, I think that it's cool. I think that it has options. I think that those options potentially aren't good enough for the modern decks that we're seeing right now. Look at Jason's suggestion in the chat, though. Put it in creativity. Play it on opponent's turn. Make a creature on your turn. Sacrifice. Make a token. Creativity for X equals two. I think that's. A, I I think that this card, of course, of course, of course, of course, would be straight unplayable if it didn't have flash. Oh yes. Like it, this card is unplayable Agreed. without flash. Yes. I think yes. with flash, there's a there are some possibilities yeah, for doors. this card to be good. Lots lots of new new doors. I think. I just feel like it's like you know you still can't get around cost. Like Flash is great because like it gives you the opportunity, like Stan has been saying, and I agree with him, is like, you know, you Stan, you get to use you get to use your mana. And that's super important, right? And <laughs> weird. We're using your mana being good. Like it's I mean, I think isn't like the person who uses more of their mana per game like just eighty percent more likely to win it? I'm making up stats on the fly, but I mean they yes. But but Shane, I, I think the only counter sort of 
counter to what you're saying about this car being too expensive is that people play shark typhoon and just fire it off on turn four when they don't counter something to make a two, two, you know? And so that's, sure. I have a two, two flyer and I draw a card, which, you know, in this case, it's kind of the same thing. You get a two, two with vigilance and you have an extra card on the board. I don't think it's that different. Yeah. I mean, shark, shark doesn't seem, I mean, I guess shark still sees a little bit of play in the, in the blue, white, Jeskai control deck and modern as a one or two of, but I think that's all this is too. It's just like a one or two of, Sometimes you pitch it to solitude. Sometimes you can use it either defensively or proactively. And like, I like this more than that escape white planeswalker. Elspeth. That weird Elspeth card that saw weird play and control for, for a minute or two. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's cool to, I mean, it's really cool to have a flash walker. Um, I think they, I think they cost her abilities extremely safely. They made her loyalty yeah. extremely safe, and that's why I'm not more excited. I think she's really easy to deal with, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful, Stan, that you are right, and that we have another cool option. Yeah, I'm hopeful I get to cast her against you, Shane, one day, and then you'll be like, "Why are you playing this card while you lose to it?" <laughs> no one plays this. I concede. All right, next card. This Do is another people- one that I put in here. Powerful card. Why don't you read this one and take us through what you're thinking about it? Invoke Calamity. One. Red, 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 red. So, five mana instance. This is already the, such a stand spell. Ambitious. You may cast, yeah, you may cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying their mana costs. If those spells would be put into your graveyard, exile them instead. Exile Invoke Calamity. Did I mention this is also an instant? And it lets you cast sorcery, cast sorceries at instant speed is the thing to note here. Yeah. But maybe that was obvious to everybody. But since I Shane like, doesn't play many instants, I want him to know. Yeah. So here's why I think this is interesting. You don't have to have them necessarily. So let's say you have one good card in your graveyard and then another good card in your hand. You get to do both of that. Even though, yes, five mana is a lot. Like, I don't think this is the plan A of a deck. But imagine this in something like Team of Rhinos, where eventually you've like cascaded a few times and maybe your rhinos eat an engineered explosives and like you're running out of cascade spells. Like you can just play this and recast Crashing Footfalls or a Crashing Footfalls and a Violent Outburst at instant speed. And I just think like that's where my head is at. I think being able to spend five mana to get two spells out of two different zones for free and maybe even go up on mana in that exchange, I think smells powerful somewhere. Yeah, I think that this this card needs to find a place where you're breaking the fairness of the casting cost restriction, right? And Footfalls is one thing that does that. Yeah. Um, cards with suspend like that do that. Like that's that's the kind of thing. I mean, you don't cascade into this of course which is important as well because the casting cost of march which of, is good uh, invoke calamity is high yeah that's important that you don't do it yeah and so i think that as a backup plan i mean some people have mentioned that wouldn't you just play um what our promise is that the name of the the red card from from war of the spark finale of promise you mean finale of Prom- yeah, yeah it's very the, very the different red card one. If you wanted to recast rhinos though you could already do that but at the same time i think that this but, is but, at but instant speed well, also Finale of Promise, 
you can cascade into that and it's a whiff. Yeah, exactly too. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think that that's the spot where something like this goes though. And I, I like the idea of this being like a backup plan for cascade. If they, if things go terribly wrong and they're like, I got to get a card back out of my graveyard. It does feel like a powerful, like this looks like a combo piece or a non, you know, a card that says, figure out how to break the rules that we've made for this card and you'll, you'll do great with it. Not exactly my cup of tea, but I think this is a card that, that, People should keep an eye on for future situations where they can break it. Seems a lot better than that collected conjuring card, for example. Yeah. Remember that card that was kind of <laughs> yes. like, oh, you're going to get to cast free spells, but no, this one you get to pick what they are at least. They're bad sorceries. Yeah. I mean, being able to cast a sorcery at instant speed is pretty cool too, I think, which can come in handy occasionally here and there as people who use Teferi know. For sure. Right. But, but, but that card incentivized you to play a deck full of sorceries. Right. You know, and this one does not. This one doesn't, no. No, you don't have to. You just have to have enough that you're going to have targets, and that's that's it. So, I, I like that this is part of a cycle, too. This is like the lands where I kind of wonder what the, you know, the black one has been spoiled. I don't think it's really worth talking about. But it does make me wonder what the blue, white, and, and uh, green ones are going to look like out of here, if they exist. I'm assuming they exist. There's the other one's called Invoke Blank as well, and it has a one BBBB casting cost. So Let's keep moving on to March of Otherworldly Light. It's X and a white instant. As an additional cost to cast a spell, you may exile any number of white cards from your hand. This spell costs two generic mana, less to, ca- less to cast for each card exiled this way. Then you get to exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment with mana value X or less. So the math here is what? Like pitch one card, pay one white mana, gets you a two mana value or less card. Two or less. Pitching yeah, that's two right. white cards from your hand gets you a four mana value card or less. Yeah, so that better be a pretty awesome four mana value card to trade. Well, and you can also do it in combination. So you can pitch a card and pay three to sure, get rid sure, of a, sure, yeah. to get rid of Makes a four. Sense. You can blah 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 blah. Okay. So this Yeah, I mean I, I think what's interesting about this card is that it's an instant and that it scales up with mana value and there is a way to pay using extra cards that you might have in your hand to break the mana disparity here because what happens with something like uh, prismatic ending for example is that it it's always the same amount of mana that your opponent put into the card that you're spending to get rid of it and here you're behind one which by like the numbers is kind of bad mana value to be behind spend more on removal than your opponent spent on their the threat that you're getting rid of so the cards help break that also this one scales up bigger than prismatic ending does so i think there's thoughts there where you can get rid of a five mana you know five cmc threat or four mana card easily or you know a lot of cases when i was playing for example when i played red white prowess you know you only can cast prismatic ending for two ever although when you have ragavan sometimes you can get it you can sneak it bigger than that but um sometimes it's hard to get rid of like a teferi three with prismatic ending in your deck there and Maybe having March of Otherworldly Light would be good for that, although you can't target a Planeswalker with this. So it's different stuff. But I think you you know what I am getting at, which is that the, most of the chat that I've seen about this card is people kind of, at least in the modern context, figuring out how this relates to, replaces, doesn't replace, of course, but how it relates to what number of prismatic endings you're running right now. I don't like this card. Me neither. You know what's weird is, like... 
you think that I would because I was like big on like portable hole and stuff like that, but I just nothing compares to prismatic ending. And it's just like I think that this is cool, not in modern. Like I, I think that you know if if I if I had added this to the notes, Dave, I would have probably just like dropped this down in like the the pioneer or like historic area. But I think that it's good. I think people probably are eyeballing this in modern, so it's as good a time as any to talk about it, right? And I think that I don't know. How does how does how does this be, how does this sl- slide into a format when you have prismatic ending and like this unfortunately like for example like something like solitude you get to take advantage of the weirdness of evoke with stuff like uh, ephemerate or um, what what else I don't know, there's other kind of stuff that that deals with the evoke issues but this is just like you're gonna exile a card it's very hard to get that value back at all you don't get to like you you don't get to process it in any way shape or form unless you are in fact processing it with a eldrazi or something like that but it's just weird like i just don't think that there's enough upside here but i i could be wrong i would like this card a lot more if you didn't have to pitch other white cards like if this is a way that you could throw away your excess lands i think it would be fantastic i think it would be too good if that was the case you know what i mean Probably. i think right. this whole cycle would be too good if, with if that was allowable yeah i mean i'm not sold on, i'm not running out to necessarily like jam this card into my decks instead of prismatic ending either but i do think that that's what people are going to be talking about until we get a chance to play with it in the next couple of weeks and see what really happens um i think the that having pitch more pitch cards in the format is interesting in a way just because it's like how many can you run like you can't run a zillion of them if you're really relying on you know having solitude and something like this and something else in your deck for example like you have to you're never you're just gonna have so much inherent card disadvantage if you do that that's gonna be a problem but i don't know i'm just going maybe this is an important out to something at instant speed well this didn't move you guys i'm medium on it Let's see. Uh, the next card I'm pretty medium on, too. I just thought I would mention it, just because this seems like as good a time of any to mention the uh, one of the sagas that transforms. So this is Azusa's Many Journeys. It's an enchantment saga. Chapter 1, you may play an additional land this turn. Chapter 2, you gain 3 life. Chapter 3, exile this saga. Then return it to the battlefield, transform it under your control, and it comes back as a card called Likeness of the Seeker that is a human monk, and it says, whenever Likeness of the Seeker becomes blocked, untap up to three lands you control. It's a 3-3. It's just kind of another interesting thing for maybe a deck that wants to do creativity type things, where you get a creature that you can target with creativity early, and you get to ramp off of it. Maybe it helps because it has a little bit of extra life, but that's kind of like the birth of Miletus kind of does both those things too. So I'm not sure if that's where you want to go with it, although you don't get to play an extra land off the birth of Miletus. And then like nobody's ever going to block this card. So you're, you're basically never going to get to untap the three lands. But I think if you have something interesting to do with the creature, all the creativity could be a thing. Yeah, that's the, I think that's an important consideration where it's like, here's a here's a weird sort of explore ramping type spell with a little bit of life gain. It just does a little bit, but like the token, getting the token is the big deal, right? Where it's like not just a spell that does something and it's in your graveyard, it's a spell that does something and then you get a piece of cardboard. I mean, it's an explore that the card you draw is gain three life and get a three three. Like that's that's what it is. Is this Uro at home? 
<laughs> a little, maybe a little bit. Like, if only it just had draw a card, it would be like a fixed Uro, basically. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I none of these other uh, transforming sagas stood out to me yet as being even vaguely possible. But let's see what happens as the set goes on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, sagas, with the exception of Urza Saga, have almost never seen modern play. Yeah. Yeah, modern play specifically. I think there's been perfectly great ones for, you know, our arena Pioneer. based formats and yeah. Pioneer. And I think there's and I have one of those I want to talk about later, I think. But yeah, for, for modern it's just it's just a tough sell because I, mean, I think primarily because they take so much time. And you just don't get you just don't get that time. Yeah. All right. So anybody have anything else for modern before we move on to Pioneer? I don't this episode. There might be some stuff that I missed in the first dump of spoilers, but we'll have a lot more, I hope, to talk about uh, in episode two. Me too. I mean, it's clear, I think, to all of us on the phone that the really, the big card here is Oseju. Like, that's the best best card, I think, by a, by a mile for modern right now. And what's wild about it is, like, it's, it is, it's so, it's so good and playable that I think it's going to do a lot to the format that we're going to have to wait and see. Like, I think that it's, I think it's a big game changer. So let's talk about Pioneer. One card I wanted to talk about in Pioneer, because I think it's easy to talk about, is Secluded Courtyard. It's a land. And it says, as Secluded Courtyard enters the battlefield, choose a creature type, tap to add a colorless, and then tap to add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a creature spell of the chosen type, or activate an ability of a creature or creature card of the chosen type. I mean, this is just unclaimed territory with the ability tacked on, right? And so I think that this car, that's tacked on here for this set because it helps with ninjutsu, right? Mm-hmm. This card seems really good and something that I think Historic and Pioneer have both been looking for, right? To be able to have an eight-pack of tribal lands. So Ancient Ziggurat is also an arena. Is it? It is. And like, I think this is better than Ancient Ziggurat. Because it can still tap for colorless, it also has that ability clause. Yeah, I mean, this is a great land. Like this, if if modern humans was still a thing, like this would just this we'd be talking about this in the modern section. You know what I mean? Do you think that this just like does this just go into into like if humans is around, is it for unclaimed territory for secluded courtyard for um, cavern of souls, and that's all all good? We're just going for it. Yeah, over over ancient cigarette. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great certainly a great land I'm, i can't think of a downside that i'm missing okay so maybe it is good enough for modern in that in that sense just because just because humans isn't good right now doesn't mean that it wouldn't be in the future yeah i mean i think it's a great it's a great tribal land for sure i just didn't think that we needed a 12 like that there was space for another one of those in the decks that already had access to these kind of tools in modern and pioneer and historic don't have as many options so that was my main thinking there but maybe it's just good enough for any set that wants a tr- for anyone that wants a tribal tribal deck here you go here's a new one to help you yeah i mean i think it's a perfectly solid land it's another good tool for tribal decks in general and yeah why not why not indeed shane is there any cards you want to talk about for pioneer dave did you put hotshot mechanic on this list because i was eyeballing this were you in the, on the, okay. in the spoiler list i was like man crew four are you kidding me? So it's it's one in it's, okay, it's just white. Artifact creature, fox pilot. One cool creature type. It's a two one. And it crews vehicles as though its power were two greater. So it can come down for one mana, 
immediately crew four on something. And yeah, I know we're not living in a, a world of Kaladesh. We're not living in a world where people are flying Heart of Kirin's or crewing Smuggler's Copter or something like that. And they wouldn't even need to be four power to do that. But I mean, Azika's Chariot, that's crew four, right? Or is it is it crew five now? Crew, well, I don't know what it is on <laughs> Arena, but... But yeah, I mean, it's that's really efficient for a vehicle-based strategy. Like, I know we're not doing Mardu vehicle standard or something like that, but yeah, this is... That's an interesting thing. Crew is crew four. It is crew four. Yep. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It's. I don't think it has a lot of utility, but keep your eyes peeled if you want to do something fun. You want to have like a a vehicles based deck. I, I mean, there's something like that in historic. There is a like sort of Mardu vehicles thing you can in fact do. So, hot shot mechanic, get in there. Yeah. Next card, I added. Shane's gonna hate it. Probably procession of joy. X and a red for an instant that says as an additional cost to cast the spell, you may exile any numbers. By the way, Procession of Joy is the Scryfall translation name, so it's not, I don't think it's the real card name yet. Uh, as an additional cost to cast the spell, you may exile any number of red cards from your hand. This spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. And then it says, exile the top X cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play up to two of those cards. So here's the red one. Pitch a card, pay a red, get two new cards. I mean, yeah, it's it's weird. We have we've seen the value, the surprising value potentially. What's that? Is it a land that you can cast as a spell, like that people sort of like cycle their hand with in some combo decks? What am I talking about, Dave? Valakut Awakening. That sounds right. That's it. Yeah. I don't know. What do you want to do with this? I mean, for me, this is sort of like in the camp of reckless impulse and light up the stage and this card as a way to get a prowess trigger make your make your soul scar mage and your monastery swift sphere bigger and get ready to kind of like keep casting spells going forward based off of that but the thing that's nice about it is that it's an instant it also lets you be just one mana anytime you want to cast it uh as long as you want to cycle through other cards in your in your hand and so you um you know I think that if you have extra cards that are bad or well, even one extra card that's bad or you top deck this and you have no cards in hand, but you have some mana at instant speed, it doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world along with those other cards. It does make me wonder, uh, once again, you know, after talking about Light at the Stage and then talking about Reckless Impulse when that card came out and being kind of sold on that card now, you know, I don't know where this fits in with that, but I would definitely try it in there just because sometimes you're just looking to make triggers and go on. This just makes me think about like how, when we're seeing like, an ex this is an example of, Hey, here's a red effect that we consider in the red color pie now. And we're going to yeah. give you as many variations on that as we can think of. Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, will this be good enough? I need to think about all sorts of nuance and cost considerations and, like you said, with this one, it can be, it's not like a showdown of the skull. It's coming down for four mana and doesn't require white mana. And so it's like, well, how flexible is this? Can I cycle away like a card I no longer need and get some gas off the top and also trigger some prowess? Like it's a, it gives you different kind of optionality. And the, the real thing that people need to figure out, of course, is, is this a good option <laughs> or is it just kind of like, it doesn't actually fit into a deck. So yeah, but I like it. And I don't, I definitely don't hate it. Perfect. Do you like it better than the white one? What is, I don't even know what the white one does. 
the white one is the the removal oh, spell the removal that spell you said wasn't as good as I mean, prismatic ending. I don't know. I think removal is more broadly broad utility than this, but I think in our arena based formats, I think procession of joy might be better. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I feel I feel like after talking about the other one, because originally I was like, this one's not that great, but I, I am kind of wondering if this might rock the light up the stage boat again a little bit more, just because it's an instant too. Like, how many of these things are instants? Not many, Shane. No, not That's a lot. Answer. That's not the many. answer. Is not, not very many. Not many. Um, yeah. I mean, that is cool until the end. Yeah, it's 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 probably. You know what? I mean, I think this has a pretty good chance, but I could be wrong. How about a card that definitely does not have a good chance, but I still think it's cool? Lizard Blades. <laughs> <laughs> For a generic That was my red. nickname in middle school. It was not, but I guess I wasn't there in middle school. I was there in elementary school and high school. I did not know. No, we didn't go to the same, same middle, school. middle school, Dave. We did not. That's when I was Lizard Blades, okay? Yeah, okay. Lizard. It was the 90s, so everybody was some kind of blade. Um Artifact creature, equipment, lizard, double strike. Equipped creature has double strike, reconfigure for two generic. It's a 1-1. One, one. This is the most fragile of creatures, but it gives double strike. Sure. Tutorable double strike thing? I mean, uh, everything's tutorable if you have Stoneforge Mystic, I suppose. but Not in Pioneer you don't, but no. what you do have in Pioneer that is popular sometimes is in Soul Artifact. Yeah. Which can be a thing, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, that costs four to, like, do that. I mean, I'd rather just, like, play Teamer Battle Rage and, like, some kind of, like, red-based and soul strategy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that gets there. Seems cool to me. But we'll see. I haven't played with this type of deck in a while. All right. Do you have anything that you thought was, like, strictly for historic? I do not. Okay. You? Um, I think, I mean, Life of Toshiro Umezawa, I think, actually maybe has Pioneer Chops based on just the board-centric nature of it and controlling the board. This was in my honorable mentions, but I can maybe move it up to the pioneer slash historic level, and it might not even be that good, but I think it's pretty cool. So Life of Toshiro Umezawa is an enchantment saga, one in the black, and when it ETBs, it's the first two steps are the same. You get to choose two chapters, excuse me. You get to choose one. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn, or you gain two life. The third. Do you know what that is? Is that something? Uh, who's is that? Umaza? Oh, that's Umazawa's GTA effects, right? Yeah. Yes. So the third chapter, you get to exile the saga, return to the battlefield, transformed into memory of Toshiro. It's an enchantment creature. Two three, and you can tap, pay one life, add black mana. Spend this mana only to cast an instant or sorcery spell. So. I think in like a board-based deck where you can pump your own creatures and swing in starting on turn two, you can start picking off X1s on the opponent's side or make them unable to block you profitably or just gaining life in a board stall and then ending up with a 2-3, I think is pretty cool. Like maybe it doesn't do enough, but I think that it's it gives you good options uh, even early, which I think is good. Like if you do, if you do creature, creature, Umazawa, I think that's a perfectly good like first three turns. Like you can start swinging in in probably a pretty aggressive manner. I think it's an aggressive card with like a defensive ba- uh, ball back. I don't know. It's not like spectacular. I think it's cool. Yeah, I'm not sure about this one. the the um the bat the activated ability ability of the backside is extremely 
head scratching to yeah, me. It's pretty weak. It's well, and it's also like, okay, so only spend this to cast an instant or sorcery spell and it's a black card? What are you trying to tell me? Like with maybe this? you like, want what am I supposed to do removal spells with it? Like you could maybe like I guess. you could like double spell yeah. more easily, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, it's just weird. It feels like it's really purposefully created to do that because you almost never see black creatures that add mana and that they have that extra restriction on it is even kind of like a little bit off pie for for black but um yeah i think this card is interesting for sure i love the callback to jitte of course but yeah i could see that happening well anything anything left we have this week you want to talk about dave you know the only other card that i that i wanted to mention and i need to go the spoiler because it's not in the document that we have and that is Moon Circuit Hacker, and that is a 2-1 for a generic and a blue. Okay. It's ninjutsu for a blue. Okay. And it says, whenever Moon Circuit Hacker deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card unless Moon Circuit Hacker entered the battlefield this turn. So this is the- It's like a Ninja of the Deep Hours. Yeah, it's, this is the additional copies of Ninja of the Deep Hours. Sweet. I think this card is really sweet. Is it sweet. a common? I don't- It is a common. Oh, perfect. So it's a pauper- thing for sure that's going to do stuff i wasn't sure if there's some kind of like blue tiny creatures deck that could use this somewhere in some other format or not but it seems like a pretty powerful card just because of that ninjutsu ability is for real cheap yeah i mean it's extremely well costed so i think it's fun i think it's fun to i mean drawing cards that early is potentially pretty cool um and for that low of a cost so yeah good on you pauper players who want to play these type of ninja decks, I suppose. Yeah, I'm fine. Hasn't been a bunch of slam dunk cards, but yeah, I mean, I think we we have some clear, outstanding cards, and I think we'll probably see some stuff that has you know a lot of role players and potential players. I think I really like the cat equipment. I really like, of course, uh, Bosage. Not uh, yeah, Bosage. Yeah. Yep. So I think it's going to, and we'll definitely have more to talk about next week. We can really uh, boil the ocean here, see what we think has some some chops. Uh, if you haven't realized, we did lose Stan to some you know crying babies in the background. So I'll take us out of here. How about that, Dave? Sounds good. All right. That wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, click that subscribe button on, uh, I think you can do that on even Spotify. And by the way, we appreciate all the Spotify reviews. I think we're up to like 130. So like in two Whoa. weeks, we got like 100 star reviews there. I've won 100 star reviews or, or 105 star. I don't even know. I'm just doing some bad math here, but thanks for all that. You get those latest, latest episodes as soon as they come out or Spotify tells you about them or something like that. So get on the Apple pods, leave us a rating or review. We'll uh, give you a shout out on the air. If you want to get at us, you can get at us at Twitter, the dive down, all one word. You can email us the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to go to podinbox.com slash the dive down, you can leave us an audio message and we'll drop that in the episode if you're cool with that. Join our Patreon. You can come hang out with the the nation on our definitively discreet dive down discord patreon.com slash the dive down thanks again of course mana traders 15 percent off your first two months of renting magic online cards participating in those awesome monthly tournaments with really high ev because it costs you nothing to enter so the ev is effectively unlimited besides your time of course thanks to barrister and man our newest sponsor for all of your uh, grooming needs you know there's not just guy stuff there there's soaps there's fragrances there are shaving soaps balms all that good stuff so if you uh, are a guy know a guy you're a lady who likes soaps get in there use the code the dive down 2022 for 15% off your first order there always thanks to the bands nowhere in space for letting us use their music and until next week 
get out there and seek your neon destiny. I know it's Dynasty.